Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Officer, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. What is up, guys? Uh, this episode was... I, I say this every single episode, I feel like, but this is one of my favorite that I've had an opportunity to record. Um, I spoke with Shamika Michelle, who is a prominent member in the Walk Away campaign. And that movement or campaign is specifically geared towards individuals who have grown tired of and feel like they are no longer represented by the Democratic Party and they are walking away as independent, free-thinking individuals. Shamika also is a representative of her own movement, which is the Naked Girls uh, Mindset, and she was a breath of fresh air. Her transparency and her honesty in all subjects regarding everything ranging from abortion to uh, the 94 crime bill, black America, um, white America, how we move forward as a nation and what types of hard conversations we need to have within our communities individually as well as together as a community as whole. So it was really nice and really refreshing to get the opportunity to speak with her. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, Without further ado, here you go. Well, it may get heated because I'm going to tell you all the reasons why you need to vote for a Democrat this year. Okay. <laughs> um, first, let's let's talk a little bit about you. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Kind of give them some background on who you are. I know who you are, obviously, but I want to give you the opportunity to to tell the audience who you are and and really what you stand for. I, I, I it's kind of twofold for me because you have the walk away movement, which I think is kind of a secondary thing. Your naked girls movement is far more important and far reaching, I think, than the walk away movement, but. I want you to kind of touch on both if you don't care to. Okay. So I am Shamika Michelle. I am the CEO of Naked Girls. We're just a group of women who have vowed to live open, honest, and emotionally exposed. I am an author, the author of Keep It Naked, A Naked Girl's Guide to Live Life Authentically, which is just an aggressive self-help book based on my life experiences. I am also a certified personal life coach and political commentator for the Walk Away campaign. So I guess, and I'm a mother of three. Aw, how old are your kids? I I saw you talking about the Breonna Taylor thing, and we'll get to that. I want that to be kind of towards the end because I have a feeling we'll spend quite a bit of time on that. Um, Okay. Tell me how old your girls are, or kids are. Yes, I have all girls. That's what I thought. Yeah, 15, 17, and 24. First of all, you do not look old enough to have a (laughs) 24-year-old. Thank you. Second of all, um, you have your hands so full. Yes, but they are good girls. They don't give me as they don't give me the trouble that I see some people having with their daughters, and so I'm grateful. I got a phone call from my daughter's teacher today, Mm -hmm. and she has been flirting with the boys trying to have races on the school track at recess and talking about girlfriends and stuff. And I'm like, she is eight years old. Where is she getting this from? (laughs) So we had to have a talk in the car. I'm like, you don't have a boyfriend. They don't have girlfriends. That doesn't exist. You're eight. Exactly. (laughs) You don't race the boys anymore. 
gosh, we are virtual only here for school, and it sucks because my 17-year-old, this is her senior year. Oh, that's super sad. Yeah, it is. I'm just, she's handling it pretty well. Um, They had to do a survey, and so they sent out something saying that they were going to continue to do virtual for the next nine weeks as well, which I kind of already knew they were. I really didn't expect them to go back to school until after the Christmas holiday. When are, where are you at? Like, what state are you in? North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. So... I'm in Indiana. We actually just moved through phase five. I'm so excited. Like the only requirement that we have in place now is masks. There's no more um, limitations inside the restaurants. There's no more anything. We just have to wear masks until the end of the month. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I see where Florida lifted restrictions and I'm, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You ready to move yet? (laughs) Right. I was ready to move last last weekend when I was there and the weather was so nice and then I got on the plane and once they opened the doors I could in Atlanta I could feel the breeze and I'm like oh wait a minute it's a little bit colder coming this way I don't like that (laughs) Uh, okay so let's start with one thing that I've heard you speak on that is incredibly powerful in my opinion for the black community is abortion The Democrat platform firmly supports and pushes and promotes a woman's right to choose, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, almost to a point where they encourage it. Um, How does that impact your community and and how do you see that playing in the future? Do you see us moving away from federal funding? Do you see that being a part of the platform that hurts the black community. Talk to me a little bit about what you think about that. Well, on the one hand, you have people that are constantly whining about being the minority. They say, oh, we're only, you know, 13% of the population. Well, we kill more black babies than are born every year. I don't know the exact specific numbers, but I heard someone on a conference call Monday say that it's between like 300 to 350,000 a year. That's a lot. And, you know, you can't continue to whine about something, yet you're killing the potential to grow before, right. you know, they even have a chance. And so I have an issue with that. And also my issue is that I feel like it it couples with teaching promiscuity and women or men as well lacking responsibility and accountability. So I don't like the fact that, you know, it's, it's, oh, go out here and be irresponsible and you can just have an abortion. And I especially hate it when it's you can have an abortion and you expect someone else to pay for it. No, if you are out here and you are living your life like it's golden, in your opinion, if you are doing exactly what you want to do, if you consider yourself a savage, then savagely pay for your abortion. No one else should be responsible for it. But I I don't think we should be able to just have abortions at the drop of a hat like we like we have now because right. I just think it promotes irresponsibility. I think if you didn't have the access to it, you would be a little more cautious. But I think that people would be a lot more responsible if it wasn't I mean it's literally Oh, here's the clinic. Let me walk in. Kill my baby. Uh-huh. Let me walk out. 
Like it, exactly. It's become something that is literally as commonplace as buying your groceries. And then right. now you have, and I said I was going to play devil's advocate. It's going to be really hard for me to do that because <laughs> I do not support any of their positions. But um, it's the celebration afterwards. You have celebrities coming out now, people that children or young girls may look up to saying, hey, if it wasn't for my two abortions, I wouldn't be a famous actress now. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, are you glorifying the fact that you killed two children to get to where you are? Like, right. to me, it, that doesn't seem like a message we should be sending to, to girls. It doesn't. And I, I just hate people. This, again, is why Naked Girls is so important to me, because, like, I've done stuff. I've had an abortion. I know what it feels like to have an abortion, which I spent the majority of my life being pro-life. I remember having it out with a friend of mine who, by the time we were 20, had already had three abortions, and I was so angry with her because I felt like she was using abortion as a means of birth control instead of just getting on birth control, and I was so upset with her. But I know what it feels like to also be in the position of just feeling like, okay, I can't take care of another child. This was after my first daughter was born. However, because I feel like I have to live naked, open, honest, and emotionally exposed, then I'm the first one to say I was being irresponsible. If mm -hmm. I knew I could not take care of another child, I had no business laying down with a man that couldn't take care of our first child. Why get pregnant with him again? That's right. my responsibility, and I was irresponsible. Also, I have no problem telling people it was not a fun thing. And not only that, when I went in to have my abortion, I remember when, you know, right before they did the procedure, they do an ultrasound. And I asked the doctor, I said, you know, I, I was clueless. I was young. I was 22, right. I believe, because I had my first daughter at 21. And so I asked the doctor, I said, you know, like, is it a baby? I hadn't done any research and we didn't have access to, you know, the Internet and cell phones at that time like we do today. And the doctor goes, I was seven weeks pregnant. The doctor goes, no, it's just a clump of cells. But even with that, because I had always been pro-life, it was so devastating to me. I, first of all, it hurt like nothing I've ever experienced before. And secondly, just emotionally, I, I just cried because I knew I killed not a baby, my baby. It was right. murder, and I felt so terrible about it. And then years later, once I was married and we had planned a pregnancy, I went, you know, for my first doctor's appointment. I was only six weeks, and what was what should have been a very happy moment turned sad for me because I was six weeks pregnant and the gynecologist goes look right oh, there you see the see heart. that that's yeah. the heartbeat yes and I was devastated because I remember years back you know when the the person said oh no it's just a clump of cells and what what, what should have been happy for me and my husband and my oldest daughter at the time I just, again, went back to that space, and I was just so broken down, and I couldn't believe. I'm like, if I see the heartbeat at six weeks, and I know at seven weeks there was a heartbeat, and I was just devastated. And I think yeah. that it, it's a lie 
that they put out, oh, it's just tissue, oh, it's just a clump of cells. And I think if I had somebody or any type of opposition at 22 to say, no, you know, this is the real baby, or if it wasn't so easily accessible to me, then I think I would have made a different choice. Right. Well, so I appreciate I your, your candor. That. That's right. very refreshing, which I've always loved about you. But it's nice to be able to have a conversation about a heavy topic and you be able to perfectly convey your message. So I do thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for giving me space to. You know, some people say, oh, well, you're a hypocrite. Well, no, I'm not a hypocrite. I, you know, I know what it feels like. I just think. There's a difference in being a hypocrite. To me, a hypocrite is somebody saying it's not a baby and knowing it's a baby and still killing it anyway. You made the decision that was best for yourself. And my, I am, I am an independent, quote unquote. Like I'm kind of in the middle on certain issues. Do I think that that we should be a pro do I think Roe v. Wade should be overturned? No. I think that that option should be on the table in circumstances where the individual who is impacted has no alternative choice, where they feel like I cannot do anything with this. I can't right. do it. I am a hundred percent on the same page with you where I do not believe it should be treated as birth control. It's, right. it's not a, let me go out and screw a bunch of people, get knocked up, and then turn around and, oh, shoot, I missed my period. Let me go have an abortion. Like, it should not right. be something that is literally like going and picking up milk at the grocery store. Exactly. And it makes me wonder where we are morally as a country. That is exactly that what I have to The moral when, deterioration is. Yeah. Well, I, I don't understand how it doesn't – like, just thinking about my own devastation – I don't see how women do it like it's nothing. And I have known uh, women to do it as late as six, seven months, more than one time. Like, just like it's nothing. And I'm like, where are we morally that it doesn't even bother you? That speaks volumes. Gosh, that's hard. I don't know anybody, or maybe I do know somebody, and I just don't know that I know them. Right. Um, But that's. Man, that's rough. Um, So uh, let's move on to a different subject. So I've got the Biden campaign pulled up on my computer right now. So they have they have, quote unquote, agendas for if you are an identity of any sort, gender, race, religion, whatever, they have an agenda for you on their website. I'm sorry. I'm just getting over pneumonia. So just ignore the coughing. Um, Feel better. Thank you. I, I'm actually on the tail end of it. It was they thought I had COVID. It was a disaster. But oh no. Um. So they it says on here. You with COVID though, still. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the woman was like, "If it's positive, we'll call you." And I was like, "Okay." Well, I got the results on my little thing, and it was negative. And so, but they wouldn't treat me for four days. So I sat with pneumonia for four days. Until I got my negative COVID test before they would Hmm. treat me for anything else. Oh, wow. That's crazy. They probably would just think, oh, yeah, she definitely has. She's got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll we'll just put her on a ventilator here in a week. It'll be fine. (laughs) Um, So on here it says women, particularly women of color, have never had a fair shot to get ahead in this country. 
Today, too many women are struggling to make ends meet and support their families and are worried about the economic future of their children. This was true before COVID, but the current global health crisis has exacerbated these realities for women. Do you agree or disagree with that position? Well, I disagree uh, that they feel like women haven't had a fair chance to get ahead. That's foolishness. This is 2020. They act as if we are still, you know, barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen, and we don't have any other choices. You have women that, oh, for God's sake, sat on the Supreme Court. You yeah. know, what What do you mean we don't have the same opportunities to get ahead? When What other country, when you think about women, has produced, you know, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Oprah Winfrey or Beyonce. Like, I don't like the fact that here in America, women whine so much, but we have more than most women in, in any, you know, in other countries. Right. What are we whining about? No one, and I don't know, you know, how you can edit this out if you need to, but, you know. I'm not no editing anything. I, I prefer not to edit. I prefer it to be raw cut. Okay. No one in this country is uh, mutilating your genitals, you know. Right. You have the same opportunities that men have, you know, and, I, you know, some people say, well, oh, you have to work twice as hard. Well, you should want to work as hard as you have to to get to where you need to be anyway. Regardless of your gender or your color, you should want to put in 110% to what you want to do anyway. So what's the problem? I don't understand why we continue to act as if women don't have the same opportunity, and that goes for uh, black people. I hate saying people of color because I don't like the fact that they try to lump us all in together. No one wanted to jump in the line when you could only go to certain bathrooms or could only drink from certain water fountains. Don't jump in the line now. Let us have our own little black people. We're fine. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it just bothers me that they push this narrative that, you know, women or even black people are just so poor and pitiful. I hate that. Yeah, I agree. I I think one of the difficult things, and I I try to talk to my, I have a daughter as well, like I said a while ago. Um, I try to, you know, the question always comes up, Mama, can I do this when I grow up? And I'm like, yeah, like there's, Mm -hmm. there's no question. If you want to do it, you can go do it. I never tell her no to that question. And I think, unfortunately, for some reason, the Democratic Party really enjoys telling women how oppressed they are, right? regardless of skin color. They want you to feel like you are not successful. In my entire career, I have always earned more money than my husband does. Right. And I have worked for that. And in my industry... I earn more than most of the men that work with me because I work hard. Like it's, and I don't, I'm not afraid to go in my boss's office and be like, Hey man, I feel like I've put a lot in. I'm, I'd like a raise. Exactly. I've never had a problem with that. And I think that this disparaging difference when they want to talk about like equal pay and, and stuff like that. I mean, if I am working at a, a doctor's office as a receptionist, and my husband is a fucking nuclear physicist, we're not going to make the same amount of money. Like, there's, right. it's not the same job. Right. So, you know, just, just to be honest, if I'm working at Taco Bell and my husband is working at Taco Bell, we very well may not make the same amount then because guess what? Not even my husband. Let me just say a man in general. 
When it's time to take out the trash, guess who I'm going to look at? You, man, take the trash out. When it's time to lift anything heavy, guess what I'm going to, I'm going to look, man, pick that up. So I don't mind him making 50 cents more than I do because I'm going to ask him to open the jars that I can't open. Right. Or that I don't, like, I just, and maybe some women are like, no, give me that 50 cent because I want to do the exact same thing. I'm just not her. I have no, you know, I tell a man in advance. Listen, I am the person that if I can't get a pickle jar open, I'm not going to try to struggle, beat it on the side of the counter, <laughs> take a knife to go. I am going to look out you. my door and see, is, is there a man walking in the street? And I'm going to go and ask him, can you open this? <laughs> That's me. If I'm huh. at the gym and there's the, you know, the 45-pound weight, I am going to say to the man, can you put, I can lift it. Listen, I can lift it. But I'm going to say, can you put this on the bar for me? <laughs> That's me. I love you. <laughs> um, I, well, and I think that that's the thing. I think that women want to, uh, something happened, the 60s happened, and this whole movement of independence happened where we feel like we have to prove ourselves in some fashion. Right. It's okay to want to stay home with your kids. It's okay to want to take a job that may not pay as much, but gives you the opportunity to have dinner on the table at night or, you know, take your kids to their practices and stuff. So I think that... I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Nope, no, no, go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was go just going to say, I just, I feel like we, we've moved in society to the point where those women that want to do that are completely ostracized and used then as a way to showcase the disparaging numbers and equal pay. It's, right. I, I just don't agree with that. Yeah, it, being a mother and I have been a stay at home mom most of my children's lives. That has been, I feel like, my greatest accomplishment, and it has been probably my greatest joy, or very close up there at the top, I would think the greatest joy, because I was talking to my kid's dad, which is my ex-husband, and his mother um, was here at my home yesterday, and we were just talking about the fact that my two youngest, you know, are get are, will be soon gone, and I literally teared up like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with them gone. Like, I (laughs) love being a mom. I love cooking dinner for my children. I love just saying, hey, focus on your work and washing their clothes and making sure they are have everything they need. Like, I I think you and I should have been born in the 50s is what I think should have happened. Right, I think so too because. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't mind being barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen, but <laughs> no, not barefoot. I would, I would at least want to have on stilettos because I love heels. So I would have on stilettos and in the kitchen. <laughs> yes. Now I don't know if I want to be pregnant in stilettos. So how about you're just hanging out in the kitchen in some really nice right. clothes? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, I hate though that they make it seem as if you are unintelligent if you want to cater to your your family, right? you know, or there's like that's a lesser job. First of all, it is hard to sacrifice yourself for any other person or anything, period. That's a big sacrifice. But if you do it with joy, 
I don't think you should be looked down upon, you know, because of that. I don't look down at women that decide to work 80 hours a week either. If that's what you want to do, fine. But I don't think women that choose to stay home should be seen as, you know, less of a woman or should be ridiculed or have this feminist shouting in her face that, you know, it's wrong. Right. So I'm going to go to the next subject. Um, They on this website, this is the Biden plan for strengthening America's commitment to justice. And it says today, too many people are incarcerated in the United States and too many of them are black and brown to build safe and healthy communities. We need to rethink who we're sending to jail, how we treat those in jail and how we help them get the health care, education, jobs and housing they need to successfully rejoin society after they serve their time. As president, Joe Biden will strengthen America's commitment to justice and reform our criminal justice system. So find that interesting coming from the guy who championed the 1994 crime bill. But I would like to hear how, talk to me a little bit about why you think that that's not a good talking point. You know, I have no idea why they think that's a good talking point, except that they believe that black people are gullible, which I have to say that a lot of them are gullible. A lot of them have turned the other cheek because, as you just mentioned, we don't need to, you know, pay more attention to who goes to prison. We need to pay more attention to the politicians that we put in position because, as, of course, a senator, Joe Biden championed the the 94 crime bill. It was known as the Biden bill. And on the Senate floor, this man talked about children that were born to single parent households saying that if we don't do something about this cadre of young people now, that in 15 years, they would be predators. So I'm not really sure why any black person or anybody that claims to be a supporter of black people would vote for this man. You know, I I don't think that he has changed in his way of thinking, though, you know, I do realize people change. However, I haven't once really heard him say I was completely wrong in 1994 because they tried to subsidize states to build more prisons because they felt like what was happening in the black, you know, community, I feel like the black community, because we seem to suffer the most from single parent households, was going to be detrimental to America as a whole, that they needed to go ahead and start building these prisons now. And in my opinion, if you care so much about these kids being born to single parent homes, why not produce programs instead of prisons? Right. So... I, I just, I, I. Well, and I uh, even think that's a problem today. I, I had a conversation with someone the other day, and I, I try really hard not to ever sound racist because I'm white, right. and pretty much mm-hmm. anything that comes out of my mouth apparently is racist anymore. Right. That, yes. Because I also voted for Donald Trump. Definitely. So, <laughs> the, <laughs> the guy that I was talking to, I said to him, you know, it's hard for me as a white person to. If I sit in the same classroom with a, a black, uh, we'll be just girl, girl, female, white, mm-hmm. female, black, female. We're in the same classroom. We have the same teacher. We're given the same school book. We go through the same class all day, every day. What is the difference that gives me the opportunity to be more successful than you and graduate high school? It has nothing to do with me being white. 
has nothing to do with the teacher that's standing in front of us. It has everything to do with what that child encounters when they go home at the end of the day. Exactly. When I went home at the end of the day, my dad beat my ass with a belt for every percentage point below a 95%. How many times do you think I got below a 95%? Yeah, I wouldn't get below 95. <laughs> yeah, not very many times. Unfortunately, right. in the black community, because there are so many single-parent households, those kids go home to nobody. Their mothers are working. Their fathers right. are not present. So they're not doing their homework. And then when they come in the next day, even though we have the same teacher in the same book, we don't get the same grades. Right. So I feel like there should have been long ago – a much more concerted effort in the black community to create opportunities at home, uh, right. childcare programs that are subsidized, make them free, but give them a place where they can go. And I know they have big brother, big sister. They have, you know, some of those programs that have been put in place, but they really haven't been emphasized enough. They, they don't gear towards the community education or, trade skills or anything like that and right. then it the, what's the next step what do you do when you have to make money and start helping at home exactly and another thing they don't do is they did not push keeping families together together when right you, you counseling know, services yeah or when you have a woman who has to choose between having a man in the home and being able to feed her children what is she going to choose she's going to feed her children Right. And so when you offer her a government check and say, you know, well, we're, we're going to do this for you, but, you know, this is just for you. You can't have a man in the home. She's going to choose the check just because right. most women don't want their kids to go hungry or to be homeless. So I think that they should have made better provisions to keep families together. What right. I noticed in the black community is that you can have a woman who says, you know, I've fallen on hard times and I need help, and they'll give her a check. But if you have a man that says, I've fallen on hard times and I can't take care of my child, they put him in jail. So I just think that there's been a big disparity on how even in the community, black community, the difference between uh, black women and black men. Black men have been tossed to the side a long time ago as if they have no real contribution to the black family or society as a whole. And I think that, of course, that's a lie. We've seen the detriment to the black community because the father has not been in his rightful place. And I just don't think enough was done to keep those families together. In fact, I believe that the Democrats did whatever they could to make sure those families were apart because. So that they would be without, dependent on the government dole and vote for them. Exactly. And be weaker. They, they That's what they wanted. They wanted to make the black community weaker. So what's the, what's the comeback from that? I know I missed it, and I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it yet. I guess Donald Trump rolled out his plan for the black community today. And I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but what's what for you as a black woman in the community, what is the answer? Like, how do we come back from that? How do we start, you know, refocusing on the family unit? How do we start putting those programs in place now after it's been so long where we've created almost like this generational system of oppression, in my opinion? Right. One of the things that I think we have to stop doing is pointing the finger at the, and blaming the white man for everything. The white man is not, you know, 
the person that is deciding to sleep around and have a baby here and a baby there and a baby everywhere and not be, you know, in place to take care of that child. That has nothing to do with the white man. That has everything to do with Papa being a rolling stone. So I think that we have to stop pointing the finger outwardly and start pointing it inwardly inwardly and say, listen, these are things that we need to um, tighten up on. We promote behavior that is not beneficial to our community. We we promote and celebrate drug dealers. We promote and celebrate uh, women that bounce around half naked and, you know, swing on a pole and talk about being a savage and talking talking about her. Not that walk. Um, walk, exactly. These are the things that we promote as heroes. You know, you hear a lot of people idolizing this BS, but then you look at someone like Ben Carson, who is a prominent uh, surgeon, and we call him a coon. We call him a cornball. We No one wants to be like Ben Carson. Everyone wants to be, you know, like Future. No one wants to be Condoleezza Rice. Everyone wants to be Cardi B, you know, or Megan Thee Stallion. We promote the wrong things in our community, and then we are shocked with the outcome. Well, look what we've promoted as being great. Foolishness. Right. It's true. I mean, it's hard. It's got to be hard to to watch Joe Biden refuse interviews with pretty much anybody, and then he does an interview with somebody like Cardi B, and so that's the the black representation that you want for your party. That's what you want us to look towards. Exactly. What What's even harder? Like I could accept Joe Biden doing that. What I can't accept is the black people that don't see that that's uh insulting what i what i can't accept is the black people that are like oh yeah but we got to get trump out of there it's the lesser of two evils or whatever first of all you can't intellectually tell me any policy that trump has put in place that would be racist yet that's the thing we are oh trump is racist we got to get him out of there well what policy has he put in place that is racist oh no he just we just got to get him out of there you know, we have to stop letting Democrat politicians come in every election cycle and, you know, dance in our churches, clap off beat to to the choir and, you know, have hot sauce in their bag. And we got to stop letting this happen every year and start requiring them to talk to us about policy, because if we did that, they would not they would they wouldn't have anything to say to us. But we allow them to do this foolishness, rock the vote and all of this dumb stuff. What is rocking the vote? Well, what is, tell me why, why, why are we rocking the vote? What exactly are we, we voting for? You know, in just in my community, there are so many black kids that benefit from school choice. Yet, y'all are sitting here talking about Joe Biden, who does not promote school choice. You sound right. stupid and you look dumb. And you look unintelligent, but as long as you allow them to get away with that, who, who can we blame? So I can deal with Joe Biden and say, oh, I'm going to talk to Cardi B. I cannot deal with black people thinking that that's okay. It, it bothers me. Right. Well, so you touched on school choice, so I want to I piggyback off of that for a second. So 
Donald Trump's policies, in my opinion, I'm not a black person, so I can't I can't say, hey, this has been great for the black community because I don't know. But based off of what I've heard, the the policies that he has put in place, especially with criminal justice reform, he from an unemployment perspective, he created opportunities in sectors where black people were able to be employed at a higher rate than has ever happened in our country. Right. And I don't understand, and I'm hoping maybe you can either explain it to me or agree with me. I don't understand how, as a black American, you could look at the president and say, well, you gave me more opportunity and you let my dad out of jail and my mom out of jail because they didn't deserve to be there, but you're a racist. How does that work? Uh, I think for a lot of people, um, like, that's great, right? I think that it's great that people who suffered under the 94 crime bill, those that are being allowed to, you know, leave prison, um, it's wonderful. Those who are getting jobs, that's great. I think that we have to expand the talking points when it comes to black people because if you look like, look at someone like myself, I don't really You didn't care. benefit from any of that. Right. I don't, I don't care about prison reform as much. You know, I do know that you're not I don't know. <laughs> right. I'm not in prison. Right. Nor am I like, oh, I need a job. So, but uh, I do, as a person that loves my community, I do understand that those things are important. For me, though, however, as a parent whose children went to charter schools, K, K through 8th grade, all three of them, I am very passionate about school choice because when my oldest daughter went into kindergarten, there were only three black people in her class. It was predominantly white. By the time my youngest came out of that same school, it was predominantly black. So I noticed the amount of black people that were taking advantage of having the ability to choose where your children get an education. And so I think we have to expand the talking points when it comes to black people and say, okay, yeah, like we got to let them know you benefit from school choice too, just right. like anybody else. We got to let them know, oh, you benefit, because I know a lot of people that have guns, you benefit from the Second yeah. Amendment too also as well. We got to let them know. So when you say expand the talking points, you mean to the black community as far as what the Republican Party can offer them. Right. And, just, okay. you know, like I understand having to kind of zone in on certain things because, of course, mass incarceration affected the black community tremendously. But we can't just be like, oh, we let y'all black people out of prison. Well, what are we out of prison? <laughs> We're good now. We let we let them out of prison. We don't need to do anything else for you guys. We got your vote, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So it's like we have to start if we want to uh get rid of this racial divide, I think it's very important for black people to understand, first of all, stop saying, What are you gonna do for black people? Well right. if you're an American and someone uh, is that's running for president or mayor or anything is pro-American, you benefit from that, right. period. And it doesn't have to necessarily be tailored just for black people, because I think if we keep doing this, we're, we're, we're not going to get where we want to go. Right. Yep. 
and we're yeah, we're not going to go where we want to go because then you're going to have black people standing there saying, you know, well, this is what the Republicans are giving me. Them's what you got. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's yeah. just, I don't think it's going to be helpful. So I think we have to do more to start a lot letting uh, black people, especially someone like myself, I have six to seven generations born right here in this country. I'm American. So anything mm-hmm. that benefits you or any other American benefits me as well. Right. That's really interesting because I think you're you're one of it, it's, it's it's almost like your own community is split. It's almost like what you're telling me is what I would imagine anybody would want. I mean, I right. in my mind, we're all Americans. The America First policies that Donald Trump came in with, that's why I voted for him because I was sick and tired of watching us spend money in wars and mm-hmm. contracts and handouts to people who hated us all over the world. Why are we not focusing those dollars and those efforts right here at home? Well, let's just right. screw everybody else. Let's just focus on us. And I would think that that would be a policy that every single person that lives in this country would get behind. But I think globalism has just really encroached and, and rooted itself into people to the point where everyone thinks that not, okay, that was a very huge generalization. Many people have started thinking, well, it's for the greater good. We, the altruistic, let's just, everybody should make the same amount of money. Whether you're a man, a woman, whatever job you work, we should make the same amount of money. We should all have, it's like this equal everything. Like nobody thinks that you should, you know, I hate the saying, but like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like it, nobody thinks you should have to do that anymore. I definitely don't think the person that's making sure my burger doesn't burn should get the same amount of money as the person that's making sure my heart doesn't stop on an operating table. You know, I think it's silly. And, um, of course, when, when, whenever you deal with humans, you're going to run into stupidity, right? Right. So I just think that, (laughs) Stupid people are going to be stupid people. Stupid is, stupid does. And we can't get them to see differently maybe right at this moment, but we can keep trying. And I think those of us that don't have straw for brain have to just continue to fight the good fight. And another thing that I feel like um, we have to do, and this is something for black people, and I hope they're listening, we have to stop acting like this is not our country. When they're when we're constantly holding that Africa is my country. Well, have you been to Africa? Do you know anybody in Africa? I don't. I can't call my grandma or my great grandma or my uncle in Africa. My family is right here. So guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna walk around this country like it's my home because it is. When I go to somebody's house that I'm not very comfortable with, I don't know that maybe they have roaches. Maybe that I don't know. I sit on the edge of the couch. I wash <laughs> my purse and make sure, you know, I don't take anything home. You know, I don't really relax. But when I'm in my own home, I sit back on the couch. I get comfortable. I may grab me a drink, kick my shoes off, put my feet up on the table. And I think that it is time for black people to stop sitting on the edge of the couch when it comes to America and feeling like I'm not at home. You're here. Your parents were here. Your grandparents were here. Your great-grandparents were here. 
sit back, relax, kick your shoes off, and prop your feet up on the table and stop this BS about Africa because, listen, my grandmother is 86. She's never been to Africa. At 86, she probably will never go. If she lived her whole life talking about something else, then she would not have enjoyed the experience right here in this country. So I'm not going to live my life worrying about a country. I hope I get to see Africa one day, but I may not. And I definitely don't plan on moving there. I'm noticing they all moving over here. So, you know, I'm going to relax and I'm going to walk around like this. This is my country. And I think we as black people have to stop this whole uh, romanticizing about Africa. Like, if you want to go that bad, go, go right on. Well, so, I mean, that brings, talking about Africa, the Kente cloth, the the Democrats wore whenever George Floyd passed away. I'm trying to understand where that connection was. Was George Floyd from Africa? It was stupid. You know, it was, (laughs) I I don't have any other way to say it. And from my understanding, Kente cloth was something, number one, worn by, I believe, royals, but also worn by, Africans that sold other Africans into slavery. So what is what message were you all trying to send exactly, you know? So um, I think it was dumb. And, it, of course, it was the ultimate pandering. And it just really shows how out of touch the Democrats were. And whoever came up with that idea should be slapped. <laughs> it was pretty rough. <laughs> It did not make for a good photo op either. Like, it was, it was bad. It was um, horrible. And who helped Nancy stand back up? Because I'm pretty sure she struggled to do that. She did. It was so The old bad. bones or even the alcohol, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure she struggled. Uh, okay. Let's, let's touch on, because you've already you kind of talked about the glorification of the wrong type of people. So I want to uh, – that was probably a really bad segue into this, but I want to talk about the Breonna Taylor situation. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give some background real quick if you don't care because I feel like this story – and I'm from here. So I feel like this story from a national news attention was mm-hmm. misconstrued so poorly in the media from the beginning. And there right. are still people to this day that – literally have absolutely no idea what happened and why it happened the way it did. So right. I'm going to give just a little bit of context if you don't care for the audience. Okay. So I'm fine with it. Brianna Taylor was not an EMT. She was an emergency room technician and she had been fired from being an EMT because she got caught stealing morphine. Uh-oh. And yeah. So wait, over wait, wait, the years, back. She got fired from being a technician? No, she was a hospital emergency room technician. She got fired from being an EMT. So that was the job description that was put out originally. She got fired from there for stealing morphine. So she got involved with a guy named Glover, who was a convicted drug dealer. And... So I guess they became a couple in 2016. She -hmm. agreed to rent a car for him. Mm -hmm. And for her troubles, she ended up in a murder investigation because a man was found shot to death behind the steering wheel of that car and drugs were found in the vehicle. So Louisville is not a big city. So when something like that happens, guess what? 
you hit radars. Like you, you right. start becoming a person that people are going to be paying attention to. Um, I guess the guy that she was dating was connected to the person who died, but he was never charged in that case. Right. So in the years that followed, he was repeatedly arrested on multiple drug charges. Mm. Taylor arraigned bail for him and one of his other buddies, like one of the other people, on at least two occasions. So more than one time she bailed him out of jail. Right. And in March of this year, he was in custody after another arrest. They were recording exchanging intimacies on the phone. So the jailhouse phone got them on the phone talking to one another. So the police surveillance established that he was still making regular trips to her apartment. In addition to that, the uh, post office had filed a um, inquiry with the police department to say that they thought that she was receiving suspicious packages. Mm -hmm. And so it was known that Glover had multiple trap houses all over Louisville. Crack, right. marijuana, pills, all of that stuff. So right. in 2019, they had observed his narcotics pickups. So after he was released on bail, surveillance placed his car at her house 10 miles away on six occasions over the next couple of months. Her car was seen in the vicinity of another trap house that was associated with him. So all of this, if you if you think about it from the perspective of, and then I guess um, this is probably important to note, uh, the police also had evidence that Glover had used her address to receive the packages by mail, and he was seen mm-hmm. leaving her apartment carrying a package in um, as late as February, so right. two weeks before that March arrest warrant was issued. Right. So her apartment was then he listed her apartment as his home address right so now we're in a position where i mean if any police officer that's paying attention is probably going to look at her as some sort of accomplice and i'm pretty sure i'm not going to say this for 100 percent certainty but i'm pretty sure in the call logs from the jail there was a discussion regarding um, like large sums of money. Like mm-hmm. um, I guess he told someone else that he right. left $14,000 with Brianna. So right. it's, you know, when the warrant was issued, it was issued as a no knock warrant. And the way that it was discharged, the way that I understand it, the first officer knocks on the door, announces themselves as the police, a neighbor comes out, pissed off because they're making too much noise they usher the the neighbor back into the apartment to say you know get out of here we're the police they still don't they bust the door down first cop takes a shot in the leg second cop trips over top of him third cop thinks both cops are down now at this point so he starts shooting right that is self like it's defense you can't you can't say that the police officers didn't think that their lives were in danger at that point. Right. Everything moves so fast. So I'm not trying to relitigate the Breonna Taylor case. What I'm trying to do is paint a picture that the media came out and said that she was this darling who 
you know, wanted to be a nurse. Then she was shot in her bed while she was sleeping. And, you know, there was just there was a lot of messaging that came out way before any facts did that completely tainted the entire public's opinion of this situation. Do I think that she should have died? No, it's it's fucking tragic. It is horrible that she lost her life in this situation. And I'm I'm so sad and sorry for her family. At the same time, she probably shouldn't have been hanging out with a drug dealer. Definitely. So I want you to talk about what you talked about on your video yesterday, because you can say it far better than I can. Right. And I won't. Well, they may try to call me a racist, but it won't stick Um, because I. I just I'm very familiar with this lifestyle. I dated a drug dealer. So the fact that um, we tried to make it or the media tried to make it seem as if she was this little uh, black version of Snow White, just pure and innocent, and she this, she didn't deserve this. Listen, do I think she deserved to die? No. As, as a parent, I would be completely devastated if anything happened to my kids. But once I came to my senses, I would have to acknowledge my kids' wrongdoing. And I think that that's what we're missing in this situation is is not acknowledging her wrongdoing. First of all, you can't be trying to move on with their life if you are still keeping dirty money for your ex-drug dealer boyfriend. So the fact that this is she's trying to turn her life around, you don't turn your life around and keep in contact and still have dealings with the same person that you claim that you're walking away from. And I think, you know, how can you be with, this is just me, but I'm older, you know, let, let me not even touch on that because I'm older and I know these young girls now are just so much more loose than they should be. But, um, you know, <laughs> she went from one man to the next just like that. Oh, she's trying to turn her life around. Well, obviously not that much because this old boyfriend, Glover, admitted, like you said, he has recordings from being, from being in jail saying that she had the money and he always gave her the money and that she's been handling his money from the very beginning. He, uh, there was also mentioned that, you know, she had texted him or something a day or two before saying that he had a package there, which, you know, we believe was maybe a narcotic package. So it's a lie. And that's the part that bothers me because we won't tell the truth. And we have little girls out here, 12 and 13 years old, that think that what they need to be when they grow up is a trap queen because we have the, this, you know, these songs, she's my trap queen, you know, stop, stop glorifying this lifestyle. So we we put out these movies and we put out these songs that glorify being a drug dealer's girlfriend, right? But we rarely ever show the side, the grim reality of what could actually happen, whether it's death or jail. Because let's be honest, if you're keeping this type of money in your home and you're running this type of uh, business, if it wasn't the police, it could have easily been someone coming in to rob you, right? Right. So just either way, you're putting yourself in a position that you don't want to be in. So, of course, I'm not saying that because she was living a, a life that is not completely upstanding that she deserved to die. Many of us have done bad things and death shouldn't be the punishment for it. What I am saying, though, is death 
can be a consequence of living that type of lifestyle. And in this case, that was the consequence, you know, And, and I think we have to be honest about that as a community and stop trying to make heroes out of these people who, um, was on some bullshit yeah. because definitely she was on some bullshit and well, no one should be like oh why did the police go over there she had turned her life around no she hadn't <laughs> let's just be honest I would rather them say you know she was still um helping him in his drug business she was keeping money she had so, because everything he talked about, I heard except for the fact that she had been fired for stealing morphine. Let's just yeah, it was be in 2017 honest. that she had been fired. Yeah, let's just be honest about that and say, you know, this is what she was doing. However, we don't feel like she should have died. Instead, I, does the fact that they tried to make her into this modern day Cinderella just does not sit well with me at all. I don't like that because I'm the naked girl. Let's be open, honest, and emotionally exposed. Well, I think, I think it's hard too. I mean, the last three, what I would consider, you know, the large white cop on black person crime has been Breonna Taylor, has been George Floyd, and has been, uh, what is his name? Guys in the hospital. Ray Shard. Oh, oh no, Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we've talked about Brianna, George Floyd. He should the cop have put his knee on the back of his neck? No. Should he have died? No. I don't. I don't think right. so. But right. he also shouldn't have, you know, downed a whole bunch of fentanyl or been right. using counterfeit money or not complying with the police when they told him to stop or right. Jacob Blake who. That narrative was phenomenally twisted where the cops trying to break up a fight and ends up killing the, the guy or shooting the guy in the back. And, you know, he's carrying a knife. He's there against a protective order right. trying to steal her car with her kids in it right. after he essentially, what is it called? They digitally raped her. That whole well, situation. Right. Exactly. That was you don't, so disrespectful. You don't glorify. What about her? Who's told her right. story? Exactly. Who's talked about what she went through in that whole situation? Not one. I haven't seen one major news outlet right. do an expose on who he was and what he exactly. was doing. And I think the problem is, and and I go back and forth. I am not a statist. I do not want the government, whether it be police officers, politicians, the FBI, the CIA, the whoever you are, if you work for the government, you're not my friend. Right. You work for me. And so the whole police thing, I'm very supportive of police officers, and I think they get a bad rap. Like, they're just really trying to keep the community safe. Right. But at the same time, when I watch, in the last 24 hours, I have watched a woman at a at a football game get tased for not wearing a mask and dragged right. off of the bleachers. I watched a man who was singing gospel hymns with his church be arrested for not wearing a mask in a, in a parking lot. Mm. And I have watched there was something else that was completely egregious. Like, oh, the Kyle Rittenhouse situation. That whole right. scenario. He should not be the one that's in jail. Right. It was completely self-defense. 
legal carrying of a firearm. So my problem is that you have government officials that are over applying law that shouldn't be law. You can't tell me to wear a face mask. Right. That is not a law. You can you legally cannot require me to do something like that. But yet you have enforcement of these executive orders with these little Napoleons that are running all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I I have a huge problem with that. So I'm in the same like out of both sides of my mouth. I feel almost like a hypocrite sometimes because I don't support the police overexerting their force. But right. if there is a law being broken, you be compliant and you fight it out in court. Right. You don't try to stab them or fight them to the point where you you're down on the ground and you give them the opportunity to kill you. You don't you just don't do that. And so it's it's like a, it's hard for me. Like I I get really mad because I don't feel like they should be overlords, but I also at the same time feel like we should be compliant and there's a process that's in place and we don't trust the justice system anymore. Anybody, nobody does. Right. Because you have people like the fucking James Comey's of the world doing whatever they want to people because they can. Right. You have court systems unequally applying the law. Like look at Michael Flynn. You know, how am I supposed to trust that this huge overreaching system that has taken so much power is going to do what they're going supposed to do right by me as my uh, this little American citizen. So I can I, I don't know I can see it from both sides. It's hard. Definitely, I totally agree. And when it comes to um, George Floyd and Jacob Blake, and I wish we would just stop trying to make these people into heroes. Martin, you know, I yeah. was I was I was totally offended when I saw a picture floating around and it was of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Malcolm X, and George Floyd. How in God's name do you try to group those three men together? You can't. They aren't the same, and it's offensive, and I, I don't think it should be accepted. But when you have people, like they're naming streets after him now, again, do I think the man should have been murdered? No, absolutely not. And I definitely hope the police officer receives some type of punishment for exerting that type of force for that long of a time. Right. But do I think this man should be, you know, some sort of hero? Do I think he's a hero? No, I think he's a criminal who unfortunately died during his confrontation with the police. Right. I just, I, I try so hard. So now talk to me a little bit about the walk away movement. How did you get from, so I'm assuming walk away to me seems like you at one point in time were supporting the Democrat party and, and it was more of like a wake up moment and you've decided to walk away from them. Am I correct in that? Right. Pretty much. Um, so, uh, technically I'm unaffiliated, but I, since I was 18, voted Democrat because my family voted Democrat, and I thought that's what black people do. When I would go to the polls a lot of times with my grandmother, we would get this sheet from a group called the Committee the committee on Black Affairs, and they always told us who to vote for, and it was always Democrats, whether they were black or white. 
it was just ingrained in me that Democrats were for the black people, Republicans were against black people. And that had pretty much been put in my head since Ronald Reagan won the presidency, because I remember my family having an affinity for um, Jimmy Carter. But when Ronald Reagan won, I remember them saying, oh, my God, being so upset and, oh, he's the antichrist because his name was <laughs> Ronald Wilson Reagan and all, you know, three names right. had six letters each. And I just remember <laughs> the panic <laughs> and the hysteria behind him winning. So it's like, even as a child, I made the correlation that, okay, Democrats. Shemika, I've white. never heard that before. I've never yeah. known that that was a thing. No, that's crazy to me. Yes. Yes. It was a big thing. So, like my whole life, that's just, you know, what I thought. But I can say, even when I look back at videos, because I used to put videos up on Facebook for what I considered cultural commentary, I pretty much always thought the same but didn't realize that I was voting against my own personal values because I just believe being raised in the church, I think most black people are conservative in our values. You but are. Whatever, yeah, but for... More than most white people at this point. Right. <laughs> but we, of course, have voted Democrat 90 to 95% of the time for the last 50 to 60 years. And I just think if more people realized what they were voting for or voting against, maybe they would start voting differently. But when you are led by your emotions, as many people are, it's really easy to be manipulated with things like, oh, he's racist or, oh, he doesn't care about you or, oh, he doesn't care about the black community. But if people were to actually stop and look at policies and try to think more logically, I don't think they could vote for this uh, if they have any type of moral conscience. How can you vote for a party that promotes late-term abortion, or even, you know, not saving these children that survive abortions. Like, how can you vote for that and and and, and it be okay or it be, as black people like to say, it is well with my soul. How is it well with your soul voting for such, you know, satanic things? I don't understand. Right. So I, I just think a lot of it's out of ignorance. And when it comes to the walkaway movement, I actually got kicked off Facebook. One of the last things I was kicked off for that I think maybe pushed kind of permanently being not being able to get on was me saying that Father's Day was for men. And I'm like, it was so confusing to me, like, okay, Father's Day is for men. And I had been kicked off before, you know, I came against the, the Women's March in 2017, and I was just saying, at the time, I had no idea that this was, you know, liberal women. Right. Um, so I just grouped all white women together, like, y'all are whining, we're in America, <laughs> you know, it, it, I just went totally off. And... um but once I got kicked off Facebook, I started putting videos on Twitter, and I noticed the people flocking to my train of thought were conservatives. Right. And I'm like, I was totally, like, shocked or surprised by that because 
I had no idea my views were considered conservative. That's just how I, I how I thought, how I maybe, you know, was raised and I was surprised. Now I didn't vote for um Donald Trump in twenty sixteen, although I liked him. I just didn't have the confidence that I needed. I hadn't really researched policies to be able to stand on it. Mm-hmm. So I stood in the voting booth. I knew I wasn't voting for Hillary because she had called black men super predators. I didn't like that. But I wasn't quite comfortable with voting for Donald Trump either. So I voted for Jill Stein. <laughs> had okay. no idea who she was. I I just knew I couldn't vote for Hillary and I wasn't completely confident voting for Trump. And then when I saw people kind of fall apart the next day, I'm thinking, what are they falling apart for? Like, why? And I started looking more into it, and I'm like, I actually like this man, but I still wasn't one of these people that's just like, I'm a Trump supporter. You know, I was like, "Mm, he's cool. I like him. I'm fine with him being president. And then (laughs) – um. So I kind of got grouped in with the politics, though, because I started putting the videos on Twitter and Brandon, who is the founder of the walkaway movement, a walkaway campaign, reached out to me. And I mean, I wholeheartedly believe what I say. To me, it was just me being naked and speaking on things that I saw and it was just like, I don't know, I guess the perfect storm, him reaching out, me feeling the way that I feel, him noticing that, oh, her views are conservative, and me having to come to the realization that I'm black, but I'm not Democrat. Right. So it just, it Do was, you it Have you experienced, together. since you made that decision, and now you have declaratively decided, you know, I'm not a Democrat anymore, I, I, I am a black woman, I'm free to think exactly however the hell I want to. Have you experienced anything negative from the Democrat community? Do you experience anybody who comes at you to say that, you know, to call you a, a token, a, a whatever, a, a coon, a, a coon, an Uncle Tom, yeah. all that stuff? Like, do people say stuff like that to you? They do. Most of the time it's people, though, that don't know me. And But I think for the most part, people that know me, it, it hasn't really pushed them to the point where they are brave enough to call me a coon because they realize that I'm, I may still be about that life, and that's not what they want to do. <laughs> I wouldn't fuck with you. <laughs> but I, I think it has, you know, caused some of them to be a little confused. Because I think people that have followed me for a certain amount of time, they really feel like I'm an advocate for the black community. So they can't really tag me with the whole she hates herself or she hates the black community because they know that that's not true. So while they may be a little confused, like, gosh, we know she loves the black community, but how is she voting for Trump, you know? I think they've been more confused than angry. Every now and then, you know, someone will say something stupid and I'm like, Confusion creates an opportunity for a conversation. So I feel like, you know, if they see that dichotomy, they see that you do support the president and and you still support your community, maybe that says something more about what they're doing than it does about what you're doing. Right. And I've had some people reach out to say, you know, I thought you were crazy, but... (laughs) <laughs> you caused me to look into it and you're right. So that's been great, you know, to have people, they do it in the inbox now. They don't put a 
public comment out there for people. Oh, no, come on now. You know they're not going to put it out there publicly. (laughs) Right. But I have had people, you know, especially that I went to high school with or college with or whatever, that reach out to me and say, keep up the good work or I'm proud of you or you've caused me to look at things differently. And it always, it means a lot when it's someone that knows me Yeah, especially when I know they know me personally. They've watched me over the years grow up or, you know. Right. So I do appreciate them reaching out. Well, I appreciate you coming on with me today. I've had you on here for 73 minutes. I'm sure you have other things that you need to do in your life. So real quick, um, shameless plug, where can people buy your book? It's on Amazon or in any major bookstore. It's print on demand. So if they go, I always just say if they go to com. you find me there. You can find me anywhere. Okay. And social media platforms, you're on all of them except for Facebook, I guess? I have a public figure page on Facebook, okay. but um, I can only access it through people that have admin access. So sometimes people will send me messages there and it's a couple weeks or someone else has read it first, you know. Right. <laughs> Um, and then you've got some events coming up you, on October 2nd. I think you're speaking with Laura Trump, Diamond and Silk. Uh, and Katie Hopkins. And Katie Hopkins. Yes. And where is that so, located? That's going to be in D.C., the American Women's Town Hall. And that following Saturday, we have the Unsilent March with a lot of amazing speakers there as well, which is also in D.C. That's great. And we have... Up until the election, we are in a different state every weekend for our Rescue America rallies, which I think we have left Nashville, Arizona, and I think we're in uh, Tulsa, Arizona. Um, no, not that's not Tulsa, Arizona. We are in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right? No, no, no. We are in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, okay, gotcha. I had. I'm like, no, we're not in Tulsa. That's Oklahoma. when are you guys in Nashville? I might try to come down. It's only two hours away. Oh, great. We're in Nashville October 10th. Okay. Yeah, and then Arizona from there, then Nebraska, and then um, Georgia. Awesome. Well, I really really appreciate you. I think this was a lot of fun. I love you to death, and I'm so, so glad that you came into my life because you are a breath of fresh air, and I love what you do for your community. I love what you – stand for as far as being a naked girl it's that whole idea of being honest and just completely transparent is just a beautiful thing so thank you so much for coming on with me um i will have this up on sunday and you can share it with all of your people thank you so much for having me i appreciate it all right you take care you too all right bye-bye bye-bye Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death.